What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Carol Lenig, investigative reporter on the National Desk at the Washington Post. And today I'm delighted to tell you our guest is Jim Popkin, author of the new book, and I want to say this exactly right, Jim, Codename Blue Wren, The True Story of America's Most Dangerous Female Spy and the sister she betrayed. Jim, welcome. We're so excited to have you here to talk about this fascinating story. I learned so much from reading your book. And remember, for the audience, we always wanna hear from you. So please um, share your thoughts and your questions for guests on Washington Post Live by tweeting at Post Live. Now let's get started. Jim, your book title says a lot, but tell us who is Anna Thanks, Carol, and thanks so much uh, to the Washington Post for, for having me. Uh, Ana Montez is probably the most dangerous spy that most folks have never heard of, and that's just really a quirk of timing. Ana was arrested just after 9-11, and despite the kind of magnitude of her crimes because of the terror attacks and, and the obvious attention there, her case was kind of lost in the shuffle. But she is a very, very important spy for a lot of reasons. Number one, she was really great at what she did, unfortunately. And she put her head down and spied for nearly 17 years for the the Cubans. And keep in mind, she's an American and uh, worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA which is the intelligence arm for our US military. And she revealed just a troves of classified information in that 17 year span. And that's why intelligence experts really feel that she's one of the most significant spies in American history. Wow. You know, one thing I'm, interested in is you started covering this for a Washington Post magazine story in 2013 that was riveting, but you kept digging into this and your book is the product of never before seen material, never before heard interviews. What kept you on this story? What kept you digging into her? I, I really have been fascinated with this story since I first heard about it in, in 2001. Um, and I, I wanted I wanted to make sure that the book moved the ball beyond where I was with the article for the for the Washington Post magazine a decade ago. And uh, so I did just keep reporting, talking to the family. Um, Anna's, some of her family members have been incredibly generous with their time and sharing family uh, memoirs and photos and, and letters, as have many of Anna's uh, friends and, and colleagues. And I was amazed at some of the you know the nuggets that I learned, I thought I knew a lot about this story, and there were uh, some some great revelations along the way as I was writing the book. 
you know, at the height of her uh, double agent career, so to speak, you know, while she was rising inside the DIA, getting awards, she was rising in Cuban government circles as this queen of Cuba kind of spy. How did she rise to this level in U.S. intelligence and keep at this for 17 years? So just quick background um, on Anna for a second. Uh, first of all, she was raised in the uh, primarily outside Baltimore and Towson, Maryland. She went to UVA, great student, uh, always kind of a straight A student, did very well at UVA, um, took her junior year abroad in Madrid and really became radicalized there, fell, fell uh, in love with a, a boyfriend who was politically very radical and a lot of friends um, in that era in Madrid. And then she came to SICE, the Johns Hopkins um, Graduate School in Washington and found kind of like-minded folks who felt the same way that she did about the Reagan administration policies, particularly in, in Central America. And that really you know, kind of set her on a path. But to more to your point, Carol, she was just very, very competent. And she had, think of it this way, two jobs in those 17 years at DIA. Her day job was nine to five. She'd go to, to DIA, keep her head down. She would work right through lunch. She had almost carte blanche bunch access to classified documents as part of her you know, legal, regular job at DIA. And she had a good memory but actually, as, as part of the, the book research, I found a book in her library that she used to improve her memory. And that was important because she never really took documents out of DIA. She didn't take that risk. Everything was in her, her head. And so day job would end approximately five o'clock. She'd go home, maybe work out. And she lived in a, in a uh, condo in, in Cleveland Park on Macomb Street. And thus begins her night job, which was typing that classified information into her Toshiba laptop. It was encrypted. And it, think of that, you know, nearly 17 years of classified information she's typing in virtually every day. And then she would take that, um, put it on disks and meet when convenient and when safe with her handlers in Washington, her Cuba, Cuban handlers in Washington, uh, in the Caribbean and in Cuba as well, and would pass along the information that she had kind of hoovered up in her day job. So she was just a very efficient spy, quiet, kind of unassuming and, uh, and, and devastating to U.S. national security because of that. You know, I think what's great about the book is you you know, you have to be, and you describe this about her, you have to have near nerves of steel and you also have to have incredible motivation, maybe a, a, a passion to be a spy. She is of Puerto Rican descent. What was it about the Cuban government that motivated her to kind of lay herself on the line, her career, her life, her freedom for them? Well, yeah, and bear in mind, she was an ideological spy. She took virtually no money from the Cubans, which sets her apart from other famous recent spies, including Robert Hansen, the FBI agent who was a you know Russian a traitor uh, selling our, our secrets to Russia, 
or Rick Ames, who was at CIA, who also enriched himself uh, through his spying. Anna took only a couple thousand dollars, really for expenses <laughs> in a way, very limited uh, circumstances. What motivated her <clears throat> was politics. And as I said, she was horrified at the Reagan administration, what, what um, President Reagan was doing in Nicaragua and in El Salvador. That's how she really was introduced to the Cubans. She, and she started working um, at DIA on those countries and then kind of graduated if she ex uh, excelled at her job to then cover the Cuba desk. And so that was right on the nose for her. She was the master within the US military and within really the government on Cuban affairs and a you know a trained Cuban spy at the same time. So she was helpful to both countries, un unfortunately, um, because of her ideology. Jim, we have a viewer question on this topic I'd like to share. Um, it's from Frank Brooks of Michigan, and he asks, she's not the first nor the last. Who vets these people before they are accepted into these sensitive government positions? I'm with, I'm with Frank. I'd like to know the answer to this one. Good question, Frank. And um, at the time uh, Anna entered into the DIA, the DIA did not polygraph. So they relied on primarily on the FBI and background checks. Um, even if she had been polygraphed, she probably would have faked her way through it because she ended up taking and passing one polygraph at DIA while she'd already been spying for many, many years. And <clears throat> pardon me, she trained in Cuba how to defeat a polygraph. So that was one aspect. The other is um, her background check. It, it raised some red flags that were ignored. Now, one very important one was early point before she started at DIA, she was an employee of the Department of Justice. She worked in the Freedom of Information Act office, and she had a security clearance at that time. An employee there raised um, a loyalty issue about her and said that she, uh, this employee did not think that Anna was loyal to the United States. The DIA was aware of that, but somewhat ignored it in allowing her both to join the agency and then to get promoted up the ranks. You know, I want to switch these questions around for a minute and ask you this. You know, she was found out by a DIA employee named Scott Carmichael. His story is pretty interesting because it, it, it does happen, you know, 16, 17 years later after she's been hard at work handing over secrets. How, tell me his story. How does he find out that she's, a, she's this unidentified leaker that they've been looking for for a while? Scott played a crucial role in this, but I want to back up just a little bit. And this is one of the things that I learned in, in reporting the book. There's an NSA, a National Security Agency role here. There was an analyst at NSA in the book. I refer to her as Elena Valdez. That's a pseudonym. Um, Elena worked for NSA and was able with her um, her colleagues 
to decrypt some messages that the Cubans had sent to essentially their handlers in the US. And they concerned an Agent S. Agent S, it turns out, was Ana Montes, but the NSA didn't know it at the time. They just knew that it appeared that a US official within the intelligence community appeared to be a Cuban agent. Elena um, passed and her colleagues passed this information to the FBI. The FBI began an investigation. The FBI somewhat spun their wheels for more than two years on this. And out of frustration at one point, Elena went to the DIA. She learned that they had a Cuban intelligence capability. She went to DIA behind the back of the FBI and informed them of this open investigation called an unsub or unidentified subject investigation. This enraged the FBI for good reason. They were worried that the spy, whoever the spy might be, would learn about this. But what happened is Elena and the NSA passed information that found its way to Scott Carmichael. Scott Carmichael was basically a mole hunter inside DIA. His, he's retired now, but his job was to find people who might be spying, uh, but were with, within the US military. Elena and Scott worked together quietly and again, behind the back of the FBI developing this. And it was Scott Carmichael who figured out, based on a lot of clues that matched up, that Ana Montes had to be Agent S. And Scott then brought that information to the FBI, faced a lot of early resistance. The Bureau didn't buy it. One reason why, that I, I should mention is, it's really rare that women are spies in the US still. The statistic is around nine to 10% in recent years. And the FBI believed for a, a lot of reasons they were following the evidence that the spy was likely a male and they early on didn't think that the spy was with the military and certainly not at DIA. So there was early resistance. Scott kept pushing away and ultimately, he convinced the FBI to take a serious look at Ana Montes. And in late 2000, the FBI opened a full field investigation of her, which ultimately led to her arrest. And, you know, I'm curious, um, how exactly was she receiving her orders from Cuba and passing along the secret information? You mentioned the great Toshiba laptop, her memory, how she wrote down everything from her own head at the end of the day. But how was she communicating back and forth? Uh, this is old school tech, but it, it, it works well. Um, it was shortwave radio transmissions. So, and it's fascinating, actually, you can, you can find this stuff online because people record it and it's creepy and, and just really interesting to listen to. But there would be um, uh, typically a woman in a recording studio in Havana. And she would read a series of uh, 150 digits in little spaces of five. So in Spanish, little groups of numbers. 
and it would be broadcast on a shortwave radio frequency. Anna knew the frequency and she knew what time to listen. And so to the normal person, it's just gobbledygook, right? It's just a bunch of numbers. But Anna would record it. She had a, um, an earpiece and she would listen in her apartment in Cleveland Park, write it down, <clears throat> and then type it into her Toshiba laptop. And she had the, the crypto codes that would decode it. And that was primarily the way that the Cubans gave her instructions. And then also she was meeting with their handlers occasionally. So she would get notes from them as well. But I, I love that old, it's old school spy versus spy technology and it worked. It sure did. And it went undetected for so long. So you write, you know, one of the risks here is, is our own view about Cuba for so long, such a, a boogeyman, especially in the 60s. Um, you write in the epilogue, there's a temptation to discount Cuba as a besotted old tiger, eager to harm the United States, but lacking the fangs and fury to pull off the job. How much of a threat, Jim, is Cuba to America today? Well, their, you know, their military is not much of a threat at all, obviously, compared to you know, the might of the U.S. military. But their intelligence services are really good. They were trained by the, uh, the Soviets, and they're very clever and crafty without a lot of money. They also, I, I had one uh, FBI official say, they don't have any rules. There's no morality and, and no Congress keeping an eye on them. So uh, it, it's a lot easier for them than it is for our own spy services. But they are very good, and uh, there's no better example than Ana Montes. Think about this. She's recruited in graduate school by another student. Her name is Marta Velazquez, and I, I can reveal that because the Justice Department indicted her for this case in, in um, about a decade ago. So they have another student at SICE who's already working for them. She spots Anna, realizes that she's a pretty good candidate. And they encourage both women to travel uh, to Cuba, which they do circuitously through Europe, fake passports, uh, new clothes, uh, meeting with handlers in Madrid and Prague on the way to Havana. They go to Havana, they get training. And then the Cubans basically help insert Ana into the Defense Intelligence Agency. That's a lot of work, a lot of planning. And they, you know, they this is they're in it for the long game. And they wait for her to get promoted, promoted, promoted. Uh, and she just becomes more and more useful to them. And that to me is is a sign that despite Cuba's whatever you might say about them politically and in terms of their military, their intelligence services are very competent. It's true. I mean, it's not like they groomed a, a mid-level or a senior person. They they manufactured Anna based on your great reporting. We now know that they were telling her where to get jobs, which is, it shows a lot about their knowledge of our our operation. That leads me to the critical question everybody's going to want the answer to. What's the damage assessment here? What did she give up uh, about 
our intelligence, our operations, especially our defensive operations, and, and what's, what's the cost to the U.S. national security of her amazing, diligent work? Her damage assessment is still classified, but we, we know, you know, we know quite a bit about what she revealed. Number one, she revealed the true identities of American operatives working at that at that time in Cuba. These are presumably CIA assets working on behalf of the U.S. government in Cuba. She revealed their true names and obviously that's a very dangerous situation. We're not aware of anyone being executed or even in prison, but it clearly ruined whatever plans we had in store for Havana at that time. Secondly, just think about it, 17 years of, of gathering up classified documents and sharing that with Cuba. The problem there is it doesn't end in Cuba. Cuba both sells and trades information to our adversaries, to Russia and others. So that is dangerous in and of itself. And then finally, Anna revealed a super secret stealth satellite system that the U.S. was operating, codenamed MISTI, that she got read in on. She informed the Cubans that satellite was uh, you know, going around the globe and spying successfully on China, Russia, Iran, and our other enemies, and also on Cuba. Anna reveals this to the Cubans, and it is believed that it it stopped being effective. I, I don't know all the details, but the presumption is the Cubans shared that information with the Russians, a stealth satellite operates and is effective because it's stealthy. Once uh, a, a, a spy working for the Cubans reveals that, it obviously becomes much less effective. So put it all together, she really created a lot of damage to U.S. national security. Jim, one of the really riveting elements of your book is the betrayal, not just of the country by Ana Montes, but the betrayal of her family. It's sort of stunning to think her sister Lucy was an FBI employee, so was Lucy's husband or partner, forgive me, and so was her brother Tito and Tito's spouse. Uh, talk a little bit about that deception of her family and, and how she was able to pull that off. Yeah, this to me at the end of the day is really a family story, and it's a story about two sisters. And if you just uh, you know bear with me one second here, because this this to me is an incredible aspect of this. In late 1984, Anna decides <clears throat> to begin her spying career. She goes to New York. She meets with a Cuban intelligence officer, and she essentially signs on the dotted line, and then she's off to Cuba for her first uh, meet and training. Within a week or two of that meeting, sister Lucy, she, Lucy was literally selling women's blouses in a department store in the Baltimore area at this time. She decides she's kind of bored. She gets in a fight with her father. She applies for a job 
as a translator with the FBI and is hired. She then has to call her sister to tell her the great news, I'm going to work for the FBI. Anna is beside herself and kind of tries to talk Lucy out of it and says, I know FBI guys, this is a big mistake. Lucy was scratching her head. She, it just didn't make sense. Lucy then goes to Miami. Miami, if you know about the Miami field office of the FBI, that's the main place where uh, our government is looking for Cuban spies. So you've got Lucy there. Then Lucy um, met Chris. She married Chris. Chris was also with the Bureau in Miami. At one point, Lucy realized the FBI is looking for new recruits who are uh, minorities. And so she thinks of her sister-in-law, Joan, who's Korean-American. She calls Joan in Pennsylvania. Joan wasn't crazy about her job. Joan, do you ever think you'd want to be an FBI agent? And Joan leaps at the opportunity, says, this, this sounds amazing. Joan tells her husband, Tito. Tito is Lucy and Anna's brother. Tito was studying to be a priest. Tito says, I'm really not interested in being a priest. I want to be an FBI special agent. So within just a couple of years, Ana Montez, Cuban spy, totally coincidentally, has four family members in the FBI. And I just love thinking of Thanksgivings and birthday parties and baptisms where she's there and, you know, Half the room has badges and guns. Uh, it was a must have been an absolute nightmare for Anna. Absolutely. And, you know, one other element, Jim, is that Lucy, the sister, when she's notified in 2001 uh, about this news, we are we've arrested your sister. Here's what she's been doing. Lucy reacts. How? Tell us about that. Yeah, and I should have mentioned all of those family members had no idea what Anna was up to. You know, they're great, patriotic, loyal Americans. Lucy had a, a very complicated relationship with her sister, and, and I would argue still this to this day. But Anna became really withdrawn and taciturn as her spying career continued. And she and, and, and Lucy really had a rough relationship. There's one uh, party where Anna was just sitting there like a lump, wouldn't talk to anyone, wouldn't talk to Lucy's friends or Lucy. She was going, she went through some very tough moments as, uh, as a spy. The pressure was intense. Okay. Cut right. to, cut to September of 2001. And Lucy is informed that her sister is a spy. Her immediate sensation and emotion was relief that she understood what was happening and why her sister had been so difficult for so long. Jim, what's amazing about the timing of your book is Anna will be released as possibly as early as today from prison after all this time, mostly for good behavior. Right. Where does tomorrow. she go from now? Tomorrow. As, as early as tomorrow, forgive me. Where does she go from now? She said that she doesn't, doesn't does the U.S. and Cuba don't deserve any allegiance from her. I want to hear what you think her state of mind is and what happens with her. Look, she's been in one of the toughest prisons 
for women in the country. It's essentially like a supermax. It's uh, in in Texas. It's a very small prison, and she's been she was with Squeaky from uh, from Manson family, and obviously uh, attempted to assassinate President Ford, and now Qaeda terrorists, serial murderers, some very very rough folks and and people with a lot of psychological problems she gets out as early as tomorrow her official release date is sunday and uh from what i've been told she will probably go to puerto rico where she has some very sympathetic family members but and she's going to be on probation for five years she needs to keep her nose clean i don't think she's going to do anything that would risk going back to prison, uh, to Texas or anywhere else. I think she will be quiet for a while and get her bearings. She's been in prison for 21 years and three months and she has not gotten the Martha Stewart treatment in prison. She has really done hard time and she's gonna have quite an adjustment uh, when she gets out into the regular world. Well, we'll be watching to see what you learn about it next. And and thank you so much for joining us. Unfortunately, we've run out of time and have to leave it there. Code, Code Blue Wren, great story. Thanks again, Jim. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Carol. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com. The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.